Hello, hello. Uh, before I get started talking about myself and preaching, I got two favors to ask. Uh, first, um, I'm not back at my church at home. Uh, we start church in three and a half hours, and I need proof that I'm not on vacation <laughs> right now. So I'm going to ask you guys to take a picture with me so I can send it back home, and everyone has proof that I actually am here doing things. Uh, let's see if we can get this right. Ah, there we go. Ah! Well, we'll take three. One, two, three. Ah, perfect, perfect, perfect. Uh, second thing, um, you guys have really great leaders here. Uh, God's blessed you a lot. Um, uh, Dale and Jane let me live in their house last night, and Jane let me eat food that she cooked. That was amazing. Uh, Kevin and Liz, they let me stay at their house on Wednesday night and cooked, and it was amazing. So could you guys help me thank God for them? <laughs> Thanks. Um, a little bit about myself. I'm from the middle of Missouri. That's where we have, uh, I guess, what you would consider sloppy accents. We say y'all and dog and tour and stuff like that. Um, this summer, specifically, has probably been the best summer of my life. Uh, I turned 25 on Thursday, this past Thursday. Um, I'm getting married in like 72 days. Uh, I graduated college last month. Um, yeah, a lot's happened this summer, so I guess that's enough about me. Um, unless you want to know what being 25 is like. It's hard, my bones hurt. I wake up, it's hard to get out of bed, uh, my back, and the medicine I have to take, it's, it's the worst. It's the worst. Um, but yeah, I live in Joplin, Missouri, and I preach. So that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to preach um, hard. Uh, this specific sermon I'm going to preach is a message that I think God's given me over the past few weeks. Um, I preached it to my church back home. I'm fairly convinced that it's a message um, that he gave me to also give to people who weren't Christians but also share it with people who were Christians so that they could share it with people who aren't Christians. Um, so if you'll meet me in Acts chapter 2, um, we'll get started. Uh, background about this message. Um, my church, we've been in a series or a collection of talks called Seated. And we've been asking the question, where is Jesus? Uh, for 1,985 years this past April, people have been asking that question, where is Jesus? Uh, there are some people in the world that they, they say, well, well, Jesus is buried. His body's in a tomb over there in Jerusalem somewhere. That, that's where his body is. Um, some people who say, well, someone stole his body. So it's not in the tomb we thought it was in. Someone stole it, and they probably put it in another one. Some people say he was never killed. He just kind of died an old happy man, just kind of faded off of the earth. And there are some people that say, no, no, we see him every day. We hear him, we experience him every single day. And uh, that's exactly where we are in Acts chapter 2, where Peter is preaching this sermon. And there are people all throughout Jerusalem, 40 days after Jesus has died, some, there are rumors of going, he's alive. That man Jesus, he's, he's alive, he's living. He, he, they say he's talked to him, they say he's eaten with him. And there are people who say, no, we killed him. We, we know he's dead. We, he's gone. We saw him there. And there are others saying, no, he's alive. 
And then Peter in Acts chapter 2 preaches this sermon and he says, not only is he alive, he's seated at the right hand of God on, in the throne of heaven. And in Acts chapter 2 verse 36 he says, therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Therefore, let all of the nations, therefore, let all of Europe, let all of the UK, let all of London, let all of Oxted know that this Jesus, God made Lord in Christ. My immediate question after reading this was, if, if this, this, this notice, as I've heard you guys call it, uh, this notice were, were put on social media, uh, if, it was, if it was broadcasting on Facebook or Twitter or the BBC or CNN, Fox News, if this notice was broadcast to the public, how many people would respond, that's not my Lord. Uh, not my Lord. Uh, one thing I've noticed uh, living in the States, especially over the past two presidencies we've had, um, and maybe it's this same way here, correct me if I'm wrong, but in a democratic society like the States or a society in the West where we get choice, we, we're quick to distance ourselves from leaders who we didn't have a say in putting them in leadership. Uh, we're quick to disown and disassociate with those who we didn't place under us, and therefore we say, it ain't my leader. Who made you boss? You might be up there in that spot, but I'm not doing what you tell me to do. How many people say, not my Lord, but this guy, Jesus, he, he, he wasn't made Lord from the democracy of a nation. He wasn't made Lord by the monarchy of a family. He wasn't made Lord by the anarchy of one single person. No, he was made Lord by the sovereignty of God. God chose Jesus, chose Jesus and made him Lord. Uh, being Lord means that you're someone who has authority. Uh, the, a Google definition for authority is someone who has the right and the ability to make decisions and, for, and enforce obedience. Uh, being Lord is when you can walk into a room full of soldiers and say, march a thousand miles west, turn back around, and skip back east, and they do it without questioning. Uh, being Lord, I don't know if you guys have air, I've heard there aren't too many air conditioners around here because it doesn't get hot. But being Lord is when you can walk into a room and change the temperature. Uh, being Lord is when you can walk into a house and you can start rearranging furniture. And when people ask why, you say, because I said so. And they listen. Uh, Jesus said that, that authority, I got all of that. All of that is mine. Uh, you know what all means in the original biblical language? It means all. Every single bit of it. So let's stop for a second and explore what he meant by all. He himself said, I've got all authority in heaven and on earth. Uh, he can walk among heaven and start calling shots among angels. You can say, I want a thousand of you to fly down there. I want you to go talk to this person. I want you to go over here. He, he can walk down on earth, uh, get on a boat, look at a storm and tell it to be still and it stops. Uh, he can look at a, a man with leprosy and say, go, go away. And immediately this man's arms are clean. He, he can look at a person possessed by a demon and say, get out. And that demon flees. Uh, John says uh, that he's the ruler of the kings of all of the earth. That means there's not a single person in political office or leadership that Jesus didn't put there. They're not doing anything out of his control. And they will only be there as long as he wants them to be there. Paul says he's the, he's the Lord of the living and the dead. Uh, let's underline and the dead. Everything I just said about calling shots, Jesus can walk into a graveyard and start calling shots. He can look at a man who's been dead in a tomb for four days and say, Lazarus, come out of here. And Lazarus walks on out of that tomb alive. 
And somewhere else it says that he's got authority to grant eternal life. Which means he can look at someone whose heart is stone cold, who is lifeless. They are dead in their sins. And he can look at them whether we like it or not and tell them to come alive. And that individual person wakes up, starts worshiping God and loving those people around him. That's the kind of authority that Jesus has. That also means you're not in control of your own life. That means he has a say in where you go and when you get there. He has a say of what you do when you get there. When you go to work, he's calling the shots. In your house, he's calling the shots. Among your family, in this church, he's calling the shots. Jesus Christ is Lord over all. What do you do when it's easy to say that, but you don't really see it? You're like me, we on Sunday, I like to sing Jesus is Lord, and I raise my hands and I sing the songs, and I can't really sing, but I sing because I say Jesus is Lord, but then I walk out on Sunday evening or Monday morning and I don't see the Lordship of Jesus. I see death having its way. I see disease having its way. I see evil having its way. I see I see families being separated. I I see sex trafficking, I see racism, I see plenty of things that make me think, are you really Lord? Are you really Lord? What do you do when it's easy to say he's Lord, but it's hard to see? I think the first thing we do is acknowledge that there are challenges to Jesus' authority. There are people and things that are constantly uh, making an effort to challenge his lordship. But I want to show you his reign is eternal, which means at the end of the day, he still has authority. Um, I see this is the young section. Uh, Just recently... Um, some of you are at the age where you uh, tell your parents what you're going to do. Um, you tell them where you're going to go, when you're going to go, what time you're going to go to sleep. You're adamant. This is what I'm going to do. At the end of the day, who's really in charge? Mm. Mom's still in charge at the end of the day, no matter how much you challenge her authority. In the same way. Though there are challenges to Jesus' authority, at the end of the day, his reign is eternal, which means he still has authority. Uh, Let's turn our attention to the Roman Empire, the empirical cult. These were men for hundreds of years who set themselves up as emperors and then made themselves out to be gods. And they made it their mission to challenge the authority of Jesus. They put up paintings to mock Jesus. They'd kill Christians for claiming Jesus is Lord. They'd make themselves out to be God. But in 2018, who's still Lord and whose empire is in rubble right now? Jesus Christ outlasts all challenges to his authority. His reign is eternal. Second, I want to show you that his reign is, I want you to know that his reign is universal. Which means that he calls the shots over all things even those things that challenge his authority. And John, he says, in this world, you'll see trouble. In this world, you'll see things that challenge my authority. You'll see things that don't seem right. But take heart. Be encouraged. I've overcome this world. I have authority over those things. Uh, Another scripture puts another nuance over it and says, for we know God works all things. We know God changes and manipulates and purposes all all things, even the challenges of his, to his authority, to work for the good of those who love him. 
this sickness, the pain, this hard season, all of these things, God is slowly but surely working those things out to where at the end of the day, they serve his purposes. And his reign is universal. And one day we'll see his reign is universal. There's a day that Jesus Christ is set to where all challenges of his authority will expire. He has put a limit and an expiration date on every single thing that has challenged his authority. Uh, Satan has a limit. He may be able to whisper lies to you, but he cannot harm you. Satan has an expiration date. Uh, death has a limit. Death may hold you for a few years, but death cannot be anything more than an extended nap for the believers of Jesus Christ. And death itself has an expiration date. Sickness may be able to take you down a little bit longer, but sickness has a limit. And for believers in Jesus Christ, it's nothing more than a fast trip, a one-way, a straight line to the throne of our king. And sickness has an expiration date. Your sin, divorce, pain, wars, all of these things have an expiration date. And there is going to be a day where we will look up. The next day that we see Jesus Christ, we will look around and there is nothing on this earth that challenges his authority and everything in all of its existence will be on its knees in submission, looking up to Jesus Christ and proclaiming, you are Lord. His reign will be shown as universal one day on that beautiful day. What do we do till then? It'd be a shame to be those Christians who kind of, you know, dig a hole and build one of those bunkers and kind of sit there until he comes back, you know. We're going to buy all of our canned foods and all of our fruit and hope it lasts us for 80 years because we're not going outside. Jesus is coming back. It'd be a shame to be that kind of Christian. So what are we doing till that day? There are plenty of accepted responses. Plenty of accepted responses to Jesus' lordship. Can I, can I suggest one that's accepted? Um, one of my favorite stories in Luke chapter 5 uh, just after Jesus had chosen his 12 disciples. So I'd imagine it was immediate. He says, okay, Peter, you come here. John, you come here. Uh, uh, James, you come here. Judas, you come here. Stay a little bit further, but Judas, you come over here. Uh, so he picks all 12 of them, and it says as he's in one of this, these towns, a man walks up to him with leprosy. And this man comes up, he says, Jesus, Jesus, but he stays at a distance. If you're willing, you can heal me. And it says Jesus reached out his hand, touched him, said, I'm willing, be clean. And immediately he was clean. Notice what that man said to Jesus. Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. That man's question wasn't, Jesus, if you're able. He knew his Lord was able. He knew his Lord had authority over all things. He's, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Friends, you have a God who is able. You have a God who is willing to hang on a cross for you. So I think what our, one of our accepted responses might be would be to ask him what else he is willing to do. I understand we have a prayer time today. I understand that all of us should be praying throughout the week. Maybe one of the responses God wants us to show towards his lordship is to pray and see what else he's willing to do. Ask him for healing. Ask him for your friends, for your families to be saved. Ask him to bring revival. Ask him to build churches. Ask him to redeem things. Let's ask Jesus to show us some things. Ask for more faith. Let's just see what he's willing to do because he is able to do it. You know, the accepted response is to 
just to ask him for some things. But there's one response that he expects from us. Uh, another story in Luke is Luke chapter 19. Jesus tells a parable uh, about his lordship. And he tells this story. He says, there was, there was once a guy who, who, who became lord of, over a country that uh, was a part of an empire. Uh, so this guy became lord over this specific country. But to be officially recognized as lord, he went away for a little bit. He had to go to the capital city of this empire. And before this man went uh, to the capital city of this empire to be recognized as lord, he, he brought some servants. And he gave one servant uh, 10, pound, 10 pounds, wrong country. He gave one servant 10 talents. Uh, he gave another about five talents. He gave another one talent. And he said, I want you to go, I want you to go do business. Make more money with what, I've, with what I've given you. And when I come back, I want you to give me that money. And so he goes away for some time. The Bible doesn't tell us how long. And then he comes back and he, he says, come on, c- come here. And uh, he lines them all up and he says, what did you make? One comes up and says, Lord, I made 10 times more than what you gave me. And he says, okay, well, uh, well done, good and faithful servant. Go enter into the joy of my presence. Another walks up and says, Lord, I made Five times what you gave me, he says, okay, well done, good and faithful servant. Go enter to enjoy my presence. Take some more. And he sends another one. He says, what did you make? He says, well, <laughs> funny you asked. Um, so I know you're kind of harsh. I know you're kind of mean. You, may be, you might know that too, but I don't know if you know your reputation. You're kind of harsh, kind of crooked, kind of strict. And basically I was afraid. So I didn't really go out and do business with your money, but what I did do, I'll tell you what I did do. I put a nice cloth around it, and I sat it on my shelf, and I waited right there for you to come back for it. And it says that Lord looked at him and said, you wicked servant. The least you could have done was taken it to the bank and gotten investment. That Lord came back expecting obedience. That Lord came back expecting his servants to do what he told them to do. Before Jesus left, he didn't give us all money and tell us to make more money, but he did give us the Holy Spirit and say, make more disciples. He gave us the Holy Spirit, which is power, power to make disciples, power that manifests itself in signs, power that manifests itself in miracles, power that manifests itself in words. You ever had a conversation with a friend? Uh, sit down at a coffee shop, maybe Starbucks or one of your other cool coffee shops and, or a pub or something, and, and they just really need to talk. They really need to talk. Or maybe just a random passing by conversation or a conversation with a stranger, and you say some really amazing stuff in that conversation, and the stranger or the friend that you're talking to is like, wow, that's amazing. I'm so encouraged or I'm so built up or I know more or they leave knowing Jesus. And in the moment, you think, yeah, I'm kind of good. I know. That was, I did that. But then in your car ride back home, you kind of recap and you think, was that me? Did that come out of my mouth? Did I say that? Where on earth did that come from? That came from Jesus. That was the spirit he put in you. That was the spirit he put in you to make disciples. And at the end of all of this, he's going to sit every single one of us down individually. And he's going to say, I gave you that. How much did you make? And I hope and pray that this church specifically 
the people in this room specifically can confidently stand before our King Jesus and said, Lord, I made 10 times more. I pray we can confidently stand in front of Jesus and say, I made five times more. I pray that some of us can be proud and say, Lord, I made one more. I at least made one more. Notice what that uh, Lord said to the, to the servant who didn't make anything. He said, if you didn't want to go take a risk, the least you could have done was taken it to the bank for investment. You could have gotten interest off of it. There is always something we can do to make disciples. There's always another conversation we can have. There's always a scripture we can share. There's always a prayer we can pray. There's always a smile or a greeting we can give. There is something we can do. You might not be able to travel across the world to make disciples, but you can walk across the street. We might not be able to preach to thousands, but we can uh, talk to a neighbor. We might not be able to do miracles or anything like that, but we can encourage someone. And as a group, collectively, let's commit to doing what we can do with what God gave us wherever we're at to make disciples. Because that's what our king expects of us. That's the expected response. Do what he told you to do with what he gave you. But there is a fourth character in that story. Uh, They were protesters. Uh, So rerun through that story and I'll put them back in there. Uh, so Jesus says there was a Lord who, who needed to be recognized as Lord. And so he got his uh, servants together, gave them all coins, told them go make more uh, money. And the, as he left, there are these protesters. And these protesters, when the Lord left town, these protesters sent a delegation. They sent some people to follow that Lord with the note that said, not my Lord. Don't even come back. Stay where you're at. Not mine. Jesus never told us why they protested, never gave us a reason. So let's use our imaginations, maybe. Maybe they thought he wasn't a good person. Uh, Maybe they didn't agree with the things he wanted or said. Maybe they were rebellious at heart. Maybe they just needed to be reasoned with. Maybe they needed a message of reason. Uh... I told you guys I graduated college last month, and um, one of my last classes that I had, uh, it was Bible college, and one of my last classes that I had was called uh, The Chronological Life of Christ. This is a four-semester class at my school. It's broken up into four halves, and it starts from uh, before Jesus, right when Jesus is born and goes all the way till the day he uh, ascends. And we spend 16 weeks at a time on this. Um, the specific class I took was Chronological Christ, uh, Life of Christ 4, which was 16 weeks on his last week on earth. Uh, 16 weeks covered seven days. And at the end of the uh, semester, our professor gave us an assignment where he wanted us to uh, write a letter to someone we, know, we knew. And the topic of that letter would be, the one thing I want you to know about Jesus. And so immediately, I knew what I was going to do. Um, my stepfather uh, would be considered one of those protesters. Uh, my stepfather would be someone who says, not my Lord. Uh, my stepfather would be someone who looks at these words and he says, it's nothing more than cigarette paper. Uh, he'd be that kind of person. So I decided I'm going to write to him. That's what I'm going to do. And so I went back to my dorm room and prayed because it was like, God, I don't have any words. <laughs> the most I could say is Jesus loves me. This I know. I need you to give me something. And 
then he began to speak. So I got off my knees praying, pulled out a piece of paper, and I wrote a few words. It said, it's good for Jesus to be Lord. Because what he says goes, and what he says is good. And so that's my message to this church. That would be my message to non-believers. That would be my message to the protesters in this story. That's my message to the faithful servants who need, who need encouragement on why they should keep going. It's good for Jesus to be Lord. It's good for Jesus to be Lord because of, one, who he is. Now, you know who this man is. This was a man who walked on earth and he touched untouchables. He got down in the dirt with the woman caught in adultery. He's someone who looked at women in a society that did not value women and he projected value to women. He's someone that projected value to children. He's someone that gave homes to outsiders. He's someone that gave love to unlovables. It's a good thing for that man to be Lord. He's someone who was willing to hang himself on a cross for us in the middle of our sin at, uh, to at most get a maybe, I'll follow you. It's good for that kind of man to be Lord. And it's good for that man to be Lord because of what he wants and what he says. His reign, his agenda, his rules are described in the Bible as three words. Uh, Paul says his reign is righteousness, it's peace, and it's joy. He says what Jesus says is righteousness because it's the objectively, absolutely, concrete, no doubt, right thing. All of us live in political systems where our leaders do the best that they know how to do. No, Jesus does the best thing possible. People are given homes. People are healed. The low are brought high. The high are brought low. It's good for that man to be Lord because his reign is righteous. Uh, the third, second word is peace. It's good for that man to be Lord because of his reign is peace. Meaning that all people have perfect peace when they're living under his subjection. When we live under Jesus' subjection, we find peace with God. We find peace with each other. We find peace with ourselves. We find peace in our homes. We find peace in the workplace. We find peace under the subjection of Jesus Christ. And the last one, which is my favorite, is joy. His reign is described as joy because he is the reason that I smile and his reign is the reason I sing. I can sing because my good Lord Jesus' reign is eternal. I can sing because his reign is universal. I can sing because I know he's going to work all things out for my good. I can sing because I know that his reign will never, never end. I can sing because his reign is righteousness, peace, and joy, and he has given me a home. Jesus' lordship is the reason why I can sing, and that's why his reign is described as joy. Can somebody shout amen? amen. Thank you. Pray with me, please. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you for your reign. Thank you for your rule. Thank you for, thank you for coming to us, Lord. Uh, you didn't set this up to where we had to figure it out and come to you. We don't come here on Sundays trying to climb a ladder, Lord, but we come here to hear from a God who came to us, a king who came to us and said, no, the kingdom is here. The kingdom is among you, Lord Jesus. Help us respond to that. Help us see the goodness in that, Lord God. We love you. Amen.